You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this morning. We turn to the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 19, 25, and 28 are the text for this morning's Easter sermon. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the linen or strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloths that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she went bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. 
Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Our text this morning is taken from the first part of verse 19, also verse 25 and 28. Let's look at those once again. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And then verse 25. So the other disciple told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And then verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Love the congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It happened in southern Russia during the late 1920s. For years already, the Bolshevik or communist government under Lenin had been doing its utmost to educate and remove the Christian faith from the land. Churches were closed, priests and pastors were imprisoned, theological schools and colleges and seminaries were shut down, Sunday worship was forbidden Parents were not permitted to teach Christianity to their children. And thinking that success was finally close at hand, the powers that be in Moscow decided to send a senior government official to the south to announce the death of Christianity and the emergence of a new era, the era of atheism. Upon arriving in the south, this official decided to hold a large meeting in the heart of that great city. And as a location, he chose a former rather large church building. And as for the time, he chose a Sunday morning. And so on that Sunday morning, the masses were forced to attend this propaganda event. 
And they came and they listened to a long and tedious speech about how the Communist Party, under the valiant leadership of Lenin, had abolished all religion. No more God, no more Christ, no more superstition, no more silly ideas about an afterlife. It was all over. A new era had begun. Eventually, the official stopped his speech or ended his speech, and then he asked the audience if anyone had any questions. None came. No one asked anything. Until finally, after a long and rather pregnant pause, a man stepped forward He stepped forward and he turned to the vast audience in front of him and said simply and clearly for all to hear, Christ is risen. En masse, the whole audience rose to its feet and responded with a joyful shout, Christ is risen indeed. You see, that Sunday happened to be Easter Sunday. And as for the Christian faith being dead, buried, and long gone, such a conclusion could not have been any further from the truth. The Christian faith was alive. Yes, and it was alive and clinging more than ever to the certainty that Christ is risen. Risen from the dead. You see, in spite of oppression, it was still celebration time. Yes, and even today, it is still celebration time. Today is Easter 2008. And it's time for us to rejoice once again in Christ, our risen Lord as well as to reflect on what happened so many years and centuries ago. So, beloved, let us listen to the proclamation of God's word under the following theme, Celebrating Easter. And we're going to look at celebrating Easter, first of all, in fear, thereafter in doubt, and finally, in faith. Well, beloved, our text this morning comes from three different verses in the 20th chapter of John's Gospel. The first verse is verse 19, and it's a verse which describes what takes place later on that first Easter so many years ago. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews... Now I ask you, is that not a rather strange way to come to the end of the most momentous day in the history of the world? What we have here are a bunch of disciples huddled together somewhere in Jerusalem, probably in a secret place, behind closed doors with the curtains drawn, and their voice is muted. And they are very much living in fear. Then we ask ourselves, how can this be? For look at what has all taken place. 
Our chapter opens, as we have read together, with the news of Mary Magdalene making her way to the tomb. Only as she comes close to the tomb, she notices that the stone has been rolled away. And immediately she jumps to the conclusion that someone has stolen the body of the Lord Jesus. And then she runs away in panic. But then as she is running, she meets Peter and John. They too are going to the tomb. And on hearing what Mary says to them, they run towards the tomb and, and John gets there first. He, he looks into the tomb, but he doesn't dare go in. And Peter arrives next and Peter, being Peter, doesn't have any reservations. He goes right in to the tomb. And what do they see there? Well, they saw something exceedingly strange. They saw the strips of linen lying there. They saw the cloth that had been around Jesus' head lying there as well, a little apart. And they also saw that the head cloth had been folded neatly. So everything was there in the shape of a body, as it were. But there was no body. The body of Jesus was gone. Now what were they to make of this? If the body had been stolen, you would think that they would have taken it as one complete wrapped up unit. Why bother to unwrap and unravel it first? Why expose yourself to the smell and to the sight? Why would anyone cart away an exposed, laid bare, decaying body? On the other hand, if Jesus had never really been dead, but had only fainted, how did he manage to get out of those grave clothes without unwrapping all of those linen strips? He would have had to peel them away one by one. And no doubt they would have been lying there somewhere on the floor in that tomb in a heap or in a pile of discarded linen strips. Or beloved, let's suppose that Jesus had been in a coma and someone had come along and had entered the tomb and had helped him to get out of the grave clothes. And once again, you would have expected those clothes to have been lying there somewhere at the foot of the grave. Torn apart, most likely, because spices, after a while, acted like glue. You see, beloved, the problems that this scene presented to Peter and to John. What in the world is going on here? What has happened? All of our human solutions, our human alternatives and theories, they make no sense. Well, beloved, the only thing that does make sense, and you'll notice John clues into it, is the astounding news that Jesus Christ must somehow have risen from the dead. 
He must have awoken from the dead. He must somehow have passed through his grave clothes. He must have taken off his headcloth, folded it, placed it there, rolled away the stone, and gone forth. That's the only explanation that makes sense. Now, it doesn't really make sense at all. However, that's the only explanation that can explain all of these different factors. And John grasps it. And as for Peter, he doesn't seem to have realized all this. Peter, man of action, quick to speak, slow to think. Peter sees only a missing body. John, however, leaves. And as he goes home, he ponders. And he ponders deeply. And meanwhile, Mary, Mary stands near the tomb crying her eyes out. And finally she gets up the courage to look into the tomb. And what does she see? Notice, no mention is made of grave clothes, but mention is made of two angels in white. And one of them asks her, why is she crying? And she tells him she's crying because they have taken away the body of her Lord. And she doesn't know where it is. It's been stolen. But that's not true. For next, another man asks her, too, why she is crying. Everyone wants to know why she's crying. And assuming that he's the gardener, she tells him. But instead of it being the gardener, it turns out to be Jesus, her teacher, her master, and her Lord. He's alive. He's back. He's standing beside her and speaking to her. Amazing. And when she gets over her initial shock, he tells her what he is up to. He tells her he's going back to his father. He tells her, too, to tell his disciples what has all happened to him. And she does. She goes to them, she tells them, Mary tells them precisely what Jesus has said to her, and most likely she told it more than once. Only notice, beloved, it appears to have had little or no impact on them. For that evening, what are they doing? Are they... Rejoicing, are they throwing a party and disturbing the entire neighborhood? Are they filled with great hope and new confidence and extreme boldness? No fear. Fear is the order of the day. They fear the Jews. 
What this really means is that they fear that the Jewish leadership is out to get them. And why? Well, probably these leaders had heard the news by now that the grave is empty, the body is gone, and they will try to blame it on the disciples. After all, remember that these leaders had gone to all kinds of precautions. They wanted the grave sealed, nicely sealed, and they had gotten their way. And then they had gone to Pilate, and they said to Pilate, we want a guard to stand outside the tomb. And we're not quite sure whether they wanted the guard to keep Jesus in or to keep others out. And Pilate sarcastically says, oh sure, make it as secure as you can. What's easier work than standing guard in a cemetery? But now the body's gone. And who will the Jews blame? They'll blame the disciples. He'll not just blame any old bunch of grave robbers. No, his disciples must have taken him. They have his body after them. But beloved, the disciples do not have the body of Jesus. Instead, what they have is fear. They're scared out of their wits. Why their fear overshadows everything else, even the news of of Mary and no doubt the astonishing ponderings of John. Yes, and their fears even overshadow what Jesus himself had said more than once, that on the third day he would rise again. But none of that matters. They're in the grip fear. And notice as a result, the doors where they're meeting are locked. But that's not right. The doors of the church or the doors of the place wherever the people of God gather are not allowed to be locked. The doors of the church are supposed to be open so that the gospel can go out to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and even to the very ends of the earth. Everyone needs to be told and to hear the gospel, and especially the great gospel of Easter, the gospel of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Is another calling of the church? Isn't that a calling that we all have received as prophets, priests, and kings in the service of Jesus Christ? We're to spread the gospel. And that means we are to spread especially the gospel of Easter. Because no one else, beloved, has a gospel like that. It doesn't matter where you look in the world. It doesn't matter what cult, what religion you examine. It doesn't matter what guru or teacher you listen to. But no one has a teacher like we have. 
And no one has a teacher who has conquered death and risen from the grave. And that's the news that needs to go out. Especially in this world of ours which is filled with so much death and destruction. So much darkness and hopelessness. Christ is risen indeed. But then, beloved, if the initial and general reaction here is one of fear, there's another reaction that we need to take note of on that first Easter day, and it is doubt. Disbelief, uncertainty, if you will. Look at verse 24 and 25. Verse 24 tells us that when the disciples were together behind those closed doors, that one of them was missing, and it was Thomas. And verse 25 tells us that the other disciples told him later that they had seen the Lord. Now, we don't know whether or not Thomas came in somewhat later. We don't know either. Maybe they sent out a delegation to go and find him and fetch him and tell him. So we don't know the precise circumstances, but we do know that Thomas is told very clearly Jesus is risen, Jesus has appeared, Jesus has stood before us and spoken to us. But notice he says, unless... Unless I see the real nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. You can tell from what Thomas says is he's rather emphatic. He's also rather dramatic. You might have expected Thomas to say, Ah, you guys are just pulling my leg. I don't believe you. Or you might have expected Thomas to say, Well, I just can't believe what you're telling me. I just can't get my head around it. It's too much. But no, beloved, Thomas expresses flat out doubt. He will not believe. He cannot believe unless, unless he sees the real holes and unless he feels with his finger and with his hands. No one's going to pull a fast one on Mr. Thomas. No siree. Some would say that Thomas here is in the clutches of subjectivism and individualism. You know, he is being excessively subjective because he elevates himself. And he says, unless I see and unless I feel, I will not. It's all I, I, I. In other words, nothing matters except me. My impressions. My insights. My Conclusions. 
And in addition, notice his attitude is also rather individualistic. To his fellow disciples, he's basically saying, I don't believe you. I don't care what you say or what you tell me. I refuse to believe you. You know what that means? That means that Thomas spurns the apostolic witness. In short, no one is going to get him to believe. He'll figure it out all by himself. Sound familiar? We still have people like that around today, don't we? We even have some of them in the church. No matter what the ministers or the elders say, no matter what the deacons say, no matter what their fellow believers say, they have made up their minds, I refuse to believe what you tell me unless I see with my own eyes and touch it with my own hands. God alone can answer my questions and remove my doubts. So what's the church supposed to do with such people? No doubt it has to be patient with them. And surely it should pray for them. And perhaps the Lord will in his mercy make it clear to them. Well, beloved, he does make it clear to Thomas, doesn't he? Look at the verses 26 and following. Verse 26 tells us that it's suddenly a week later. It's the same day, the first day of the week. Notice all of these things happen on the first day of the week. Little wonder that it's soon going to be called the Lord's Day. In any case, on that day, the doors are locked again. And that means that in spite of everything that has happened, the disciples are still on the defensive. They still do not know exactly what to do with Easter. Fear still consumes them. But suddenly Jesus is there again. Mysteriously, miraculously, unexpectedly, he appears once more. And notice he greets them in the same way, with a hearty peace. Be with you. And then suddenly... He turns around to Thomas. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side, Thomas. Now doesn't that take you somewhat aback? Doesn't that just bowl you over? Here you assume that when you meet together with the elders of the church, or when the disciples meet together with Thomas, that is just between you and them, or them and Thomas, and four walls. But you can see, Jesus blows that idea to bits. When the disciples come bringing the good news to Thomas about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ sees them and he 
hears them. And he knows exactly how Thomas reacts. And you can be sure he knows us as well. Don't ever think you can hide anything from Jesus Christ. And don't think either that Jesus Christ will forget it and not perhaps challenge you or call you to on account because of it. Word for word, he responds to Thomas's doubts. Touch here, Thomas, and here, and look as well. And Thomas, you don't believe my messengers. Do you believe me? And no sooner has he said that, however, and he adds something else. Thomas, Thomas, stop doubting. And believe. In other words, Thomas and and all of you who are like him, you need to set aside your doubts. You need to believe. You need to believe the messengers that I send to you in my name. You need to believe my gospel. You need to believe my servants. You need to believe my church. And Thomas does. In response to this confrontation with Jesus, Thomas cries out, My Lord and my God. That's the fullest confession we have in all the scriptures of who Jesus Christ really is. My Lord and my God, which means that Thomas is ready now to embrace the Easter gospel. He believes that Jesus Christ is risen indeed from the dead. And he believes that Jesus is the Savior beyond compare. For look, he calls him, he calls him my, my Lord. Which means, Jesus, you are my curios, you are my owner, you are my master, you are my despot, you have made me your very own possession. You are sovereign over my life and my work and my money and my marriage and my family and my leisure. I am yours in life and death. No one can take me out of your hands. You'll keep me and raise me up and bring me to glory. You are my all in all. Jesus is my Lord. But notice Thomas also says something else. He says, Jesus is God. And Thomas even calls him my God. You ever thought about that? My God? Isn't that an overstatement? To call him God is one thing. As you remember the centurion did, which we listened to on Good Friday. But to claim him as my God, isn't that saying too much? Who can claim God? Who can say to God, you're mine. You belong to me. You, the maker of the heavens and the earth. You belong to me. 
Who can say that? We can. We can claim him. Or did you forget? Long ago, our God came to our great spiritual forefather Abraham. You remember what he said to Abraham? Genesis 17, verse 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Here God himself says you can claim me. Within the context of our covenant, you can claim me. You can make me your own. And that's what Thomas does. He acknowledges Jesus as Lord, as his very own Lord. And he embraces Jesus as God, as his very own God. Led by the Spirit, Thomas makes... The most exalted claim and confession of all. And he sees who Jesus is in mystery and majesty. And he now knows and believes in the risen Lord and God of Easter. Yes, and as such, the Lord God uses Thomas, beloved, to set the stage For the church of all ages and for his covenant people everywhere. Beloved, today you and I may sing together with the ancient church and the persecuted church and the Catholic church that Jesus Christ has won the victory. In and of ourselves we are weak and vulnerable. But clothed with faith in Jesus Christ, we too may claim him. And he will make us strong. And he'll give us a future. A future full of life and peace and glory. For Jesus Christ is risen. Risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.